Hey everybody, this is Troy, one of the pastors at First Church of the Nazarene. Thank you for listening to the podcast. It is a glimpse into the life of our church. We are ordinary people being transformed into passionate followers of Jesus. And we are committed to join God in the remaking of all things. I pray that this sermon is a blessing and helps you join God today. If we can serve you in any way, we would love to. Please get a hold of us at lafayettenaz.org. Have a great day. First Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse 3. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's chosen strangers in the world of the diaspora, who live in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father chose you because of what he knew beforehand. He chose you through the Holy Spirit's work of making you holy and because of the faithful obedience and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. May God's grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is the word of the Lord this morning. So Peter writes this letter. And who is this letter for? Peter says this letter is for these kinds of people, in his words, chosen strangers. You are, as the recipients of this letter, Peter says, chosen strangers. Strangers, And I want to look at those two words this morning. And I, I'd like to start by looking at the second word first. Peter says, you are chosen strangers. Let's talk about strangers. Have I told you about the time that um, I was in Spain with five other pastors? I was in Spain with five other pastors. These pastors were Indiana boys. And we were there to work with local churches. Meet the pastors kind of consult with the pastors, help the pastors. Really, they ended up helping us more than we ended up helping them. We were, we were there. And we were traveling um, in, through Spain, and we ended up uh, at dinner one night in a little village, a town outside of Madrid. And we were eating a meal. And um, if you're a Spaniard, you eat dinner really, really late, like 9 o'clock. So we're hungry. We're, we're Indiana boys used to eating at 6 p.m., we're, we're hungry. And the pastors that, that I were, were, was traveling with were fairly large people, both in kind of height. They were large in height, but they were also large because, you know, they didn't miss many meals, if you know what I'm saying. They didn't miss many meals. And so we were at this restaurant in this smaller village outside of Madrid, and one of the servers said in his best broken English, you're not from Spain, are you? <laughs> and one of the pastors said, how did you know? <laughs> and the server paused. You could tell that he was trying to figure out how to say what he wanted to say in English. And finally, he just said, well, you're so big. They could tell we were strangers. We weren't from there. And I know I've told you this story before, but I like to tell the story, so I'm going to tell it again. When I was in college, I, I, did, I was fortunate and privileged enough 
to do um, a class that required a trip to Israel. So it was a Bible class, and there I was in Israel, and I was studying some of the ancient sites and the ruins and the places where Jesus walked, and the whole thing, it was great. And I was traveling with my best friend, who's still my best friend at the time, and he, he did then, and he does now, have the palate of a three-year-old child. Like, if it's not pizza or macaroni and cheese or hamburgers or hot dogs, he struggles. And so the entire time we were in Israel, he was really having a hard time. Now, if you know anything about how Israelis eat, they eat kosher. Kosher means you don't mix dairy and meat. You eat, that's just a no-no. You don't do that. So we're in this little town, and there's a pizza parlor. And uh, my, my friend John is looking in the window of the pizza parlor, and John's favorite food of all time is pepperoni pizza. He loves he loves pepperoni pizza. It's the way to his heart. So he's looking inside the window at this pizza parlor. The owner of the restaurant is actually standing outside. And the owner says to my friend John, can I help you? And John says to the owner, do you have pepperoni pizza? Well, that's a no-no, right? It's not on the menu. It's definitely not kosher. And so the owner looks around. I'm not kidding you, man. This is how it goes. You want a pepperoni? I can get you the pepperoni. <laughs> so John and I started to walk inside to go to the to be seated at the restaurant, and he looks at us and he goes, "No, no, no! You outside! You outside!" And so there we stood outside on the street corner, and we waited, and the owner smuggled out to us a box of pizza, and the pizza was cheese with some kind of meat on top. Now listen, it was not pepperoni, but it was some kind of meat on top. And as he handed it to John, I kid you not, he gave him a wink. Like, look how much of a rebel I am. I can break these rules. Listen, when you're in a foreign country and you're not from there, it's easy to pick you out as a stranger. You're easy to be identified as a stranger. But that's not what Peter is talking about. When Peter writes this letter to Christians, followers of Jesus, who were scattered throughout those cities that he listed in modern-day Turkey, they're not strangers because they are not from there. They're all locally born and raised. They're locals. Born in Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. They're born there. They were raised there. They're local. So if they're local, why does Peter call them strangers? It's because of this reason. And this applies to you and I as well. He wants them to understand something that is fundamental. You may be from there, but you don't belong there. You may be from there, but that's not your primary place of belonging. They may, in fact, be citizens of that place. But check this out. Because they have been baptized into the way of Jesus, they are now primarily citizens of a different kingdom. They're strangers. They are resident aliens of the world, but not in the world 
of the nation, but not in the nation because they've been baptized into the way of Jesus. Their citizenship has shifted. Their primary allegiance has changed from being a citizen of one kingdom into a citizen of another. For example, I have, and I meant to bring it with me this morning, but I, I did not. I have a United States passport. I have a passport. And that passport identifies me as a citizen of this country. But I hold on to that citizenship loosely. I hold on to that identity loosely because my primary identity and my primary citizenship is the identity given to me by Jesus when I was baptized into his kingdom. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God, first and foremost. Can I get an amen? Peter is helping us to understand that. This is not your primary home. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a stranger to the world. You are a sojourner. You have a heavenly citizenship serving a heavenly God and your primary allegiance is there. So this is what this means. Since this place is not your home, this place doesn't have to tell you what to do. You're different from this world. You have different values than people around you. You have different morals than people around you. You have a different belief system You'll be different as a husband. You'll be different as a wife. You'll parent your children differently. You'll respond differently when someone mistreats you than the rest of the citizens do. You'll handle your money differently. You'll manage your calendar differently. Why? Because you're a stranger. You're not from here. And because you're not from here, the local customs don't apply to you. You're different. Your first love, your first allegiance is not the way of this world. Your first allegiance is the way of Jesus. So even though you have a passport from this country, you are a foreigner. You're called to be different. You're called to be, and I'm just going to say it, you and I, we're called to be holy. Holy. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be holy? And let me be really honest. Sometimes the church has got this right, and sometimes the church has got it very wrong. What does it mean to be holy? Does anybody remember when to be holy, it simply meant that we don't? We don't. And you can fill in the blank with whatever you want to fill in. It just means that we don't. We don't drink alcohol. We don't watch movies unless those movies can be rented and you can watch them at your house. We don't listen to secular music. We don't dance. We don't play cards. We don't participate in mixed bathing. That meant swimming with both men and women in the same swimming pool. We don't wear wedding rings. If you were a woman, you didn't wear pants. I mean, like, you wore a skirt. Like... (laughs) Hopefully you wore a skirt. (laughs) Sherry, my wife, tells this really funny story. Um, She has um, kind of a distant relative who was raised and steeped in the tradition 
where to be holy meant that you don't. And um, she met a boy, and that boy was not raised in that tradition. And the boy was interested in getting to know her relative, and so we asked her out. And um, he said, hey, listen, um, there's a dance happening at this place. You want to go to that dance with me? And um, Sherry's relative replied, I don't dance. And he said, okay, well, how about we go see a movie? I, I love to see movies. Let's go see a movie together. And she said, well, I, I, don't, I don't see movies. To which he replied, okay, well, do you eat? I like to eat. <laughs> Now, let's tell the truth. Let's tell the truth. To be different or to be holy doesn't have anything to do with any of that stuff. To be holy means to be made to become like Jesus. It means to become like Jesus. To be holy means, and let me say it differently, it means to live the kind of way that demands an explanation. To live a different, kind of a way. When we live in such a way, when we spend our money in such a way, when we date in such a way, when we love people in such a way, when we serve people in such a way that when other people see it or other people experience, they say, man, that is different. Why do they live like that? To be a follower of Jesus, to be made holy, is to live a life that demands explanation. It's to be different. Because let's be honest, all right? Let's confess. The normal way of life of this world isn't working. It's not working. This is what is normal. Debt is normal. Divorce is normal. Hurting people who have hurt you, that's normal. Gossip is normal. Gluttony is normal. All of those things are normal. And how is that working? Peter says, you guys are different. You're different because you're not from here. You don't belong to this place. And here's something that I want, the truth of this statement, I want the Holy Spirit to have this settle over our hearts for the next several weeks. Only people who are different will end up making a difference in this world. Only people who are different from this world will end up making a difference in this world. It's high school graduation season right now, and I'm so proud of all of these graduates. In fact, I've confessed with people before. It's this season of graduates that's really making me feel my age. When I arrived here, these graduates were eight years old. Eight years old, you all. And so I've been privileged and fortunate to watch these young men grow up, and I'm so proud of them. But it's high school graduation season as I've walked around and gone to all the various parties. And please invite me to all the parties because your food is delicious. And I've asked the graduates about their career aspirations. Here's what I notice. Young people today have this growing desire to make a difference. To make a difference. 
The idea of a nine to five that pays okay, but doesn't make an impact in the world is less and less and less appealing. And I think all of that is great. And I want to support and applaud all of that. But here's the thing, and I'm not just talking to young people now, I'm talking to all of us. We have to be willing to be made different in order to make a difference in this world. We have to be willing to be made, to become the kind of person who's different from the way of this world in order to make a difference in this world. Do you know what hypocrisy is? Hypocrisy is the desire to live a life that makes a difference while living our life the same way we've always lived it. Hypocrisy is when we say, I want to make a difference in this community, in my family, in my school. I want to make a difference, but I'm unwilling to change anything about my pattern of life in order to see that that difference is made. Hypocrisy is I'm going to treat people who have wronged me the same as I always have, judge people the same way I always have, spend money the same way I always have, treat my spouse just like I've always treated my spouse, but I'm going to get loud on social media about my desire to make a difference in this world. Because if we want to make a difference, we have to be willing to be made different. And this is the story of the church from its earliest inception. Every single woman and every single man of God that made a difference was first willing to be made different. From Abraham being willing to leave everything behind and move to follow the call of God in his life, to Joseph, who was willing to live differently inside of the Egyptian empire, to Esther, being willing to take a stand and risk it all in order to save her people, to Jesus, who was blatantly honest and candid with his followers that they had to be different in order to make a difference this is the story of the church, and you and I are invited into it. And why are those people able to be different? It goes back to that first word that Peter says. He said we're strangers, but he said we're chosen strangers. And so it's very true. You and I, we're not from here. We don't belong here. This place can make no claims over us. We serve a different king, a king who chose us. You know, um, one of the more beautiful things, one of the more beautiful, beautiful, beautiful things, and I, I, you know me, I get emotional, but one of the most beautiful things in the whole world are these videos of families who have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for a child that they want to adopt. And then you see the moment happen where they first meet that child for the very first time. And they hold them and they look into their eyes and they say things like, we have prayed for you for so long. And it's just beautiful, emotional moment. And sometimes in adoption stories, there's a day that parents refer to as the gotcha day. And the gotcha day means the day that they got that child and that child officially became theirs. And for many families, it becomes as important in their family story as a birthday 
that day becomes just as important as a birthday. Why? Because they chose that child. They wanted that child. And from that moment on, that child belonged to them. Sometimes when we think about what it means for God to choose us, I think we need to tap into the heartbeat of the Father who looks over his children and longs for them and chooses them and chose you and chose me. Here's something that is so elementary in our faith, but sometimes we forget it, and maybe you just need to hear it this morning. You were chosen by God. He chose you to become a part of his family. He chose you to raise you so that you could learn the way of God in this world. He has a dream for you and a future for you. He wants, he wanted you and he continues to want you. You have been chosen. And because you've been chosen by God, you can belong to him if you want to. Now here's something that's universally true. The group to whom we belong, that group is the group that forms our identity. The group to whom we belong, that's where our identity is formed. And so if you, listen, if you identify this morning to a group of people or to an ideological group more than you identify to the family and the kingdom of God, that group will shape your identity and they will begin to tell you who you are. What it means to be chosen by God is that his identity is the most important to us. His kingdom is the first thing that we seek to him and to him only. Do we give our allegiance? He chose us. We've been adopted into his family. I was uh, studying this week, and I was just kind of fascinated because um, I was kind of interested in the parallels between what Peter is saying in this passage of Scripture with those two words, chosen strangers, and um, the modern American phenomenon of what we call naturalized citizens. Now, for those of you who aren't aware, um, let's say that you um, aren't born in this country, but you want to become a citizen of this country. There is a process of citizenship, of naturalization that happens. And at the very, you know, you take tests, you have to study the tests, you got to know the history. For many of us, if the same tests were given to us, we'd fail. Maybe they'd kick us out of the country. We, we don't know. But, but you take all the tests, you pass all the tests, but then, and you, you can quote me on that, you can look, look this up for me. Make sure that I'm telling you the truth. But then, at the very end of that process, it says, there will be a ceremony, and you must attend this ceremony. And at this ceremony, you will gather, and you will give an oath of allegiance to the nation. So you did all the tests, you, you, you qualified, you're ready to go, but there will be a ceremony. You must attend that ceremony, and you must give an oath of allegiance to the nation. And you would think that in modern times, we could just work this out so we could email it. Well, email some documents back and forth, scan it, sign it, boom, you're good. But no, 
there has to be a ceremony. And at that ceremony, that's when you finally become a citizen. So when Paul, when Peter is writing to the church that's scattered throughout, he says of them two things. He says, you're chosen strangers. God chose you. And because God chose you, you don't belong from here. And it's that moment of baptism. It's at that moment, that's like the naturalization ceremony for citizens in the kingdom of God. It's at that moment where we transfer our allegiance and we recognize that Jesus is primarily Lord and Jesus is King. And Jesus is the one who has a claim over our life. And because of that, we are made different so that we can make a difference in this world. You know, um, I grew up in an era of the church where the church was weird on purpose, where holiness was defined by the don'ts. And I'm thankful for those years because it kept me from doing a lot of stuff I shouldn't have done just out of fear, just out of fear. But I'm realizing more and more and more that to be made holy is to be made like Jesus, which means that there's this other way of living in the world that's way better and that's available to us right here and right now.